the loss of a steady paycheck was was only somewhat terrifying to me at that point. <laughs> but um, but it it worked. What I was doing before wine was not what I considered a career. It was just something that I happened to be interested in. Thankfully, I, I suppose, I never declared it internally a career. Welcome to the Winemakers Podcast. In each episode, we meet one winemaker and get the chance to hear their story on their turf. We walk through the vineyard, taste their wine, and share a home-cooked meal. If you haven't already, visit thewinemakersseries.com to order your season one case, one bottle for each winemaker. Then pull cork, press play, and enjoy. Jeremy Weintraub is an academic who quit a lofty East Coast career after a decade of success. He peeled himself away from big city life to travel across the country on a motorbike and start over from scratch. His intellectual core, however, wasn't lost. Jeremy brings a level of intensity and scientific rigour to the winemaking process that sets him and his wines apart. Though he is the head winemaker for Adelaide, a well-known label in Paso, Jeremy's passion for perfection inspired his own label called Sight. With no expectations, Sight is where he creates a wine as unique as his personality. Jeremy is the kind of person you often hear about but rarely ever meet. The guy who trades in his fancy suit for a cowboy hat and never looks back. What was left out of that equation was my my love of doing something with my hands. And I mean, every year is new for me and um, every day is new. How I'm tasting the wine, walking the vineyards. Um, I couldn't ask for anything better than that. From Cellar Media, this is The Winemakers, Paso Robles, California. I'm Louise Houghton. So Jeremy Weintraub, what a name. Isn't it such a fantastic name for this job? I was in denial for a while, I think, but it's really accidental. My, my dad's a psychologist, my mom's a social worker, and as far as and going back, I had a grandfather who had a fish shop and a great-grandfather who had a fish shop, and um, somewhere probably a thousand years ago. I like, to, I like to think that there was someone in my family making wine or growing wine grapes. For those that don't know, obviously, Weintraub, in German we would say a Weintraub, and Wein, like the wine, means wine, and Traub is grape in German, right? It's true. I'm presented with that every, with every uh, German that I, an Austrian that I meet. So I've, I, I've had to try and work on something that resembles a story. But as far as I know, my family is uh, solidly middle class and solidly of the uh, sort of academic order rather than the, uh, the farming order of things. But I just think maybe it's destiny that, you know, somewhere along the line, your family was meant to end up in the winemaking business. It might be. You know, I've got a science background and geology background, but I, I, I'm not immune to the possibilities that are out there. My, you know, my dad worked at a university 
and wasn't buying necessarily the Grand Cru of every vintage, but he did, it was important to him to have good wine. And I had a summer job between my sophomore and junior year of college where I worked at a winery on Long Island, largely because I didn't really have any other skills at that point. And um, I was desperate for a low paying or any kind of job and ended up getting a job serving wine to people at this winery and taking them on tours. And that summer was was the first summer I I fell in love. And uh, so it was kind of one of these magical summers that, that for me at least, stuck with me and, you know, informed my decision 10 years after that to quit what I was doing and really so make a go of it. 10 years later after you realized you had a passion for it? It's true, yeah. Well, you know, I don't jump. want to make any quick decisions. <laughs> <laughs> no. So. But I guess if you have a secure, stable job, you know, it's, it's a big, tough decision to make. Yeah, it was a tough decision, but largely because I knew it would involve moving and the loss of a steady paycheck was, was only somewhat terrifying to me at that point. <laughs> but it, it worked, and it's, it's largely worked with greater success than I could have imagined at the time. What I was doing before wine was not what I considered a career. It was just something that I happened to be interested in. Thankfully, I I suppose, I never declared it internally a career. I mean, after I finished college, I worked at a think tank in in D.C., and I was very involved in politics. But now politics is something that I'm... um, My involvement is more on the uh, Sunday morning quarterback kind of way. I'm not writing op-ed pieces and doing research on this or that, but it was definitely something as when I was younger that I was not just interested in, but felt like it was something important that I would be doing or should be doing. And what was left out of that equation was, was my love of doing something with my hands. And I've always had motorcycles since I was 20 years old and like tinkering with them and working on them and restoring them. And I suppose the same thing was true in a lot of ways with my approach to learning about farming, um, But, you know, maybe you have this creative string to your bow that you hadn't really explored before. You know, I honestly did not feel that way at the time. I just felt like this is something that I'm interested in. I'm not going to be making a paycheck. In fact, when I left my job, I was living in Brooklyn, uh, the, the vineyard job that I took, I was getting paid $50 a week, which didn't even cover the cost of my fuel to commute from Brooklyn (laughs) out to Long Island, but I didn't care. I feel fortunate that I was in the position that, you know, I wasn't on food stamps. I'm a white guy from New York who, you know, went to college. I mean, there's no excuse not to try something that demands my attention or that, that I can turn my passions to. When you started out, though, you had to go right back to the bottom and learn from the bottom up. How was that? That was hard. Yeah. (laughs) So I never took any 
science courses when I was in college, and I went back to school as a 30-year-old sitting next to 18 and 19-year-olds. But I, you know, it's different, again, when I was a teenager in college. I wasn't really uh, focused on learning. I was interested in it in a, in a sort of removed way, in a abstract way, but it was very different from when I went back to school as a 30-year-old and was taking chemistry classes, but wanted to really understand, wanted to get into school so badly that I was willing to embarrass myself in science classes and learn something that I didn't know before and get, you know, just, just feel different in the classroom. So you, you, what was your first job in the industry? So as a full-time job, I was an assistant winemaker at a, at a winery in Santa Barbara County, but it took a little while to get there. So after school, I worked in central Otago in New Zealand, and I worked in Martinborough in New Zealand, and I'm very grateful this, for this opportunity, but I worked for Antonori's Tignanello Estate in Chianti, at least for me and for wine, it's um, and for all of this is that you know I'm very serious about how I approach it all. But it's wine and want to drink it and enjoy it. I mean, people have been drinking it for eight thousand years and, and hopefully will well into the future. But I think also that when you're tasting something, it's the same thing with music that you hear or listen to or artwork. I think you can sort of sniff out when someone hasn't kept her up or his eye on the ball and isn't really delivering. And that's one of those, again, like woo-woo kind of things. And I think energy follows intent. And all of my schoolmates would laugh, I'm sure. But I think you could taste, you could smell when someone has cared during the process of, of, of putting wine into a, into a bottle. So you were telling me about Adelaida, the story of how you ended up working for them. Yeah, I was very excited to get a call from Adelaida. So I had moved back down to this area from Napa, and Adelaida called to ask if I'd be interested in consulting on their Bordeaux wines, which I had mm. experience with from Napa. and. I had never been to Adelaida, but I had heard it's one of the legendary oldest wineries in Paso Robles. The family that owns Adelaida owns the oldest Pinot Noir planting on the central coast. So it was planted in 1964 and had a legendary winemaker consultant named Andre Telechev, who was, I think, believed to be the godfather of California wine. And so it had all of this history, and I was excited to get the call. Um, so I worked as a consultant with them on their 2012 vintage. And after that harvest, um, I was offered the winemaker, wine grower job and gladly accepted it. juggle that with your own vineyard? The site wines that I make are, it's not exactly a passion project because there's money involved. And I mean, Adelaida is my day job. Yeah. And site is only 300, 350 cases. And Adelaida very, very generously offers 
their winemaking space so I can do that. Okay, so you do it all there? I do it all there, yeah. Okay, that's handy. And nice that you can then have your own, your own project with your own name on it. Yeah, but then again, it doesn't have my name on it. It's called Sight because to me it's the most important element, the most important component of a wine is the location where the grapes are grown. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of ego in the wine wine making community and I didn't really want to add to that. So I call it Sight because again, it's more important where the grapes are grown than who's making it, so. The Winemakers Podcast is supported by Winerist.com. Winerist.com is dedicated to making your wine and food travel simple. Discover experiences in over 130 destinations worldwide that are curated to fulfill all your wine and food dreams. You've heard from the experts. Now explore the regions that inspire them with Winerist.com. But what is it then? What is it about this area that makes the grapes taste so amazing? Geologically speaking, this area was the Miocene era, which was about 20, 24 million years ago. So this area had been underwater, right? And the central coast and the section was lifted up in a process called subduction, where the Pacific plate slid under the North American plate and pushed up these mountains. So you can find all the time, with no exaggeration, marine fossils. And so there's whale bones, there's dolphin bones embedded in the rock here. Um, From a winemaking or wine growing viewpoint, the grapes benefit and the vines benefit from the limestone that we have. So there's a narrow band of limestone that is under a very specific part of Paso Robles here. And limestone happens to be the underlying rock eroded calcium carbonate. So you see it in Piemonte in Italy, you see it in Champagne, you see it in Saint-Amillon. And what it does is it makes it difficult for the grapevines to pull up potassium. So we get high acid grapes, which lends to a fresh freshness to the wines and structure to the mouth, which I like a lot. Well, I think that Paso just seems to have its own energy and its own characteristics. And everybody talks about it as if it's this unique place where you can grow grapes that you just wouldn't otherwise be able to grow in California. For sure. So, exactly. And and so Pinot Noir, for example, it's conventional wisdom that it grows only or it grows best in a cool, so-called cool climate. Now, this is definitely not a cool climate. However, the nights are cool here. So it can be 50 degrees at night and over 100 during the day. And that's Um, what you need is that variation between hot days and cool nights. Exactly, so that keeps a lot of the freshness. That and the soil, and again, the limestone, keeps that acid fresh. We don't have to do any monkey business to um, make the wines taste fresh and lively. It's, um, it's a result of the soil, a result of the climate, and I like to think the combined result of the people farming it and the attention that people are giving while they're farming it. 
feel like I need to lie on the floor now and um, be at one with the plants. I do it all the time. Do it you? feels good. I heard that you listen to your plants. Well, listening is part of what every, every good relationship is based on. What do they say to you? They say, treat us well, and we're going to deliver and treat you well. And that's always the case, right? So if you treat the plant well, it's going to deliver some nice wine. Right. But does it tell you, feed me, I'm thirsty? You know. I, I don't listen to that. Okay. Right? So I want it to struggle a little bit. I don't want to kill it, but I want it to struggle and um, make delicious wine. So you talk about it. Unlike any other crop where you're just looking for yield in fine wine, you're not doing that. You want to limit the yield uh, or at least encourage the plant to limit the yield. So much brilliant information. Thank you. I feel like I've learned masses from this little walk through the vineyard. So what are you cooking for us? This is about seven pounds of leg of lamb that came from uh, someone who works at Adelaide Vineyards, raises lamb and sheep. Um, this is from um, the Dorper breed, which is hairless. It's a cross between Dorset from your neck of the woods and Persia from no, one, no, no one's neck of the woods here. But it's, uh, it's a very mild lamb. So what we're gonna do, we're doing um, pretty classic rosemary and garlic and some salt and pepper, and that's it. Um, after this has been in the oven for a little while, we'll deglaze the pan with a little bit of some sight wine. I don't want to use a red wine necessarily for this because, again, it's a mild breed and I don't want it to pick up too many flavors from a red wine. So we're going to use a Roussan. Oh. And now we're, we are ready. So we're going to put this in the oven for how we long? Are for about an hour and 45 minutes. Is it good to go in? Do we need it's, anything more? It's good to go. Um, wow. it, it looks pretty handsome. I think it's ready to go. Oh, as your co-chef, open the door Thank for you. Thank you so much. excited to taste some of these wines of yours but these are the site wines and Adelaide is very different to that. Adelaide is an estate. What does that mean exactly? That means that we control how everything is farmed. Um, Owning a vineyard is a big commitment. Um, having a winery is a different commitment than what I do with site is, is buy fruit from three different vineyards. Okay. So I'd worked with two of them in the past. Um, I have acre contracts with these vineyards, meaning there's a certain number of rows and I get from here to here and I could do what I want with those within oh. those rows. Okay. Um, so you actually get to go to the place where the grapes are growing. Sure, yeah. I talk to them. <laughs> I, I whisper sweet nothings and I'm doing this because I love to do this and it's not a financial, I'm not wanting to lose money, but I love to have that connection with the plants and I don't make too much wine that I can't have the connection and I know the people who are buying the wine and on my mailing list, so it's important to me. So how many different varieties do you make? I work with Viognier and Roussan and Syrah and Grenache, and I make 100% Viognier and 100% Roussan. 
and 100% Syrah. And then the other two, there's a Grenache that I blend with some Syrah and then a Syrah that I blend with some Grenache and Viognier. Okay, so you just pull it for us, the this is the This is the Viognier, actually. Oh, okay. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. So there's a Grenache from a vineyard that's about a half an hour south of there. Can we try? Just Please. Let's try some Syrah. Okay. So this is what we'll, we'll have with with the dinner. With the lamb you're going to make for lamb, us? That's right. Okay. It smells more earthy. I agree with that, 100%. Yeah, so um, all of these wines, I hope, again, will go with food. Not to say that you can't sit by a pool in your flip-flops. Mm and, you know, People Magazine and drink it, but I want these wines to be drunk with food. Well, the alarm's going off. It sounds like the food's ready. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited by the food. And we're gonna drink the... We'll drink, well, we should drink it all. The Syrah. The Syrah, the Grenache. The Winemakers podcast is inspired by the Winemakers of Paso Robles coffee table book. The Winemakers of Paso Robles coffee table book is the perfect gift for the wine lover on your list. It took more than a year of interviews and photo shoots to make this 328-page large format book. It's the perfect book to curl up with a glass of wine and escape to wine country. The Winemakers of Paso Robles. Check it out on Amazon.com and at WNMKRS.com. That's WNMKRS.com. There are only a few first editions left, so get yours today. The Winemakers Podcast is supported by Passarobleswineries.net. Passarobleswineries.net is the best resource for planning the perfect trip to Paso. Decide where you want to taste, eat, stay and explore all in one place with the only comprehensive map of every winery, distillery and brewery in the area. You can also find tasting coupons and hospitality discounts. Text SPECIALS to 24587 for coupons. That's SPECIALS to 24587. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Paso Robles Wineries. PasoRoblesWineries.net is the best place to plan your next trip to Paso. Oh, wow. Smells good. Smells good. Oh, my Voila. God. It's like a feast. You're so professional. Do you do this every day? I, yes, every single day I roast the lamb. <laughs> Got to live something nice and let wow. it sit for a little while. It'll keep cooking. And then um, 140 is medium rare, right? So this is 137, 100, yeah, 137. Um, it'll keep cooking a little bit in there. And then, um, you see the blood then we'll go to town. Oh, don't. That's not blood. That's... Um, that's stage blood. It's fake. <laughs> no, but if you're wanting it medium rare, then you want to That's see true. a little bit I, of blood. I, I just didn't want to offend anyone. No, well, I mean, the vegans listening should block their ears that's for a true. minute. That's probably a that's probably a good idea. So <laughs> we'll take we'll take this off in a little bit, okay. and then um, deglaze the pan with some roussan. So uh, you're a bit of a chef too, what eh? What do you think? Well, multi-skilled. You know, I want to be a one-trick pony, right? got the blend here. It's very interesting. It's much lighter than the other two reds. But yeah. this is a blend, blend of the two. It is. It is. So that's the, interesting because well, the, individually they're heavier and then together they're lighter. 
It's one of the amazing things is, is during the blending process that um, you get flavors that it's not one plus one equals two, it's one plus one equals three or four or five, and uh, wine could change completely when it's blended with something else. This is coming together very this. nicely. Yeah, it's coming together, yeah. Oh, so we're need... gonna take some wine. The White Roussan, wine, right? Roussan, perfect. I get it. Here you are, chef. Merci. So all the juice so, in there just came from the meat yes, before. Yes, exactly. So it's just all the fat? Brown bits, brown bits we the call them. Bit. Again, we're using the white because um, it's a very mild lamb, the Dorper breed. Yeah. So boil this down a little bit. So Deglaze. Do you think this asparagus is done? Yes, thank you. And asparagus is more than done. Yeah. Um, this is this is where the sous chef comes in because yeah. the chef is completely mindless. <laughs> Steamy. Do we All right, carve? I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Yes, let's carve. Okay. So what are those bits you're putting on? So right there's a mallard reaction going on with the browning and some of the bits are just basically what's dripping down from the garlic and rosemary that we made. Well, you can open, you can pour the wine if you want. Oh, it'd be my pleasure. Yeah. The most important part. The Syrahs from Biennacito Vineyards in Santa Maria Valley. Um, it's very cool there. I always get pepper, herbal characters, and I think it, there couldn't be anything better than lamb and Syrah. Do you distinguish the flavors with a food so that people can understand them a little better? Sure. Um, so the, the fermentation process itself uh, creates thousands of aromatic compounds, the same aromatic compounds that you would find in garlic or onions, but we did this lamb with garlic and rosemary and the chemical compounds of vegetables and fruits and meats are the same in glasses of wine, depending on what direction uh, the fermentation process goes. Okay, so that makes it easier to understand when you are comparing it to something that people are already familiar with. That's right. That's exactly right. And that's that's the, that's the language. And, and you know, hopefully, um, hopefully that's all conveyed that uh, not in an intimidating way, but that um, that's why you can find this marriage of food and wine and why they go together. I mean, it, it's they go together because they go together. It's 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 a, it's as simple as that. And um, but, but you know what, at the end of the day, the science is, is fun to geek out on, but the thing has to taste good. Yeah. I mean, at the, I don't, and it's more important to me that the grape or Thank that you. the wine tastes, that the wine tastes great. So whether it's fermented in concrete or something else, it still has to be pleasing. It's, you know, the, the whole point of doing this is to then enjoy the fruits of your labor, right? Yeah. The fruits of someone's labor that, um, with, with people that you're friends with and are related to and love. Well, I'm very excited 
to try all of this. Thank you very much for today. It's been wonderful to get to know you. Same here. Cheers. Cheers. Have we overcooked the lamb as well? Too much chatting. <laughs> Too much chatting. And that asparagus was like the easiest thing in the world to do, right? The Winemakers Podcast is a production of Seller Media, hosted by me, Louise Houghton. Executive producer and creative director, Lauren Matic. Co-produced by Louise Houghton and John Meek. Original score, editing, and sound design by John Meek of 10 Minutes Early. Live sound engineering by Dean Lee. Additional editing by Miguel Coez of the Music Interval Theory Academy. And additional sound engineering by Brian Vasquez. The Winemakers series was created by Julia Perez. For show notes, links, and more, please visit wnmkrs.com forward slash podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Winemakers Series. And please subscribe, share, and rate us on iTunes. Seller Media.